where I smile films present the shot. And now here are your hosts, Matt and Jesse. Welcome back to Rise Smile, Rye Nation, for our midweek shot. This is our decade in review podcast. And tonight we're going to be examining the best of. So the best of the last 10 years. Best of the last decade. So we'll Mm -hmm. start off with films, but we'll cover a few other categories as we move through Mm -hmm. the show tonight. I think we'll cover some worst and then also looking towards the future and (laughs) what's coming out this year. And with a slight or quick look into TV as well or episodic television or episodic programming. Most definitely. So let's just let's just go jump right in. We got the McKellen uh, treating us quite nicely. I poured us some pretty decent glasses there. So cheers. A little heavy tonight. Just <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, let's just get right into it that way. Because, um, you know, we got we got a lot to talk about. So one more before we get into that one quick thing for everybody out there. The list compiled is a combination of quality of film and preference of either he or I. Mm-hmm. For example, we were just talking off mic. Uh, we had a discussion as far as are we just going to go best quality film, and certainly that goes into the viewing experience. Sure, yeah, but it's also my enjoyment. Exactly. Uh, l- let me give you two examples. Okay. Um, neither one of these made the list for me. Mm-hmm. Jumanji was a movie I thoroughly enjoyed mm-hmm. in 2018. It might have been one of my or 2019. No, 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. One of the most enjoyable films I saw. There's no way that makes the list because it's kind of a popcornian night i i had a great summation of jumanji was i remember liking it a lot but i don't think i could tell you like maybe anything that happened in that movie which is that's weird that's a weird review (laughs) so the flip side for that me would also be the revenant Mm -hmm. superb film Mm -hmm. no way i ever want to watch it again once was plenty so somewhere in between that is where is the where the list is i'm approaching my list from and it sounds like me me too yeah exactly some of this i'm going to defend and some of it i'm just going to go sure again we want to try to keep this to a shorter period of time than the normal 90 minutes we do on the weekend so that being said uh should we just launch into it let's do it we'll do 10 10 9 9 you go first number 10 for me john wick we talked about it a lot in an earlier cast, so I'm not going to break it down. We sure. already did that. Um, genre-defining movie in a genre I thought was pretty dead. Mm-hmm. The action, male-driven type of film wasn't something I thought we saw a lot of in the last decade, and it rekindled not only a need in the viewers, but Keanu Reeves as well. <laughs> rekindled him. Yeah, it was kind of fun to see him come back in this crazy role, and he just, just kicks so much ass in there. When I was thinking about this list, I was like, I was like, I know Matt has to get John Wick on this list somewhere. And I was like, I wonder where. So there it is right at the top. Right at number 10. Excellent. All right. Let's hear your 10. Number 10 for me from 2012, Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, to me, Catherine Bigelow is a very interesting filmmaker. When you look at her filmography, you have the likes of Near Dark and Point Break. But then you also have stuff in there like Strange Days and K-19, The Widowmaker. And I think she really found a niche for herself in this kind of like this militarized types of dramas. And I'm not a big fan of The Hurt Locker. I think that that's kind of an overrated film. But for all those qualms I have with that one, I don't have with Zero Dark Thirty. This was actually the film that introduced me to Jessica Chastain. And boy, does she kill it in that film. And, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, kind of, you know, find like, is it 100 percent, you know, truthful? Because how much are we allowed to know as film viewers in that? But the picture they paint in there of this uh, just manhunt that lasts about 10 years is, I think, thoroughly entertaining. And the last 30 minutes is just show-stopping. And 
we actually have a friend of ours who actually got to work on that film in in Syria, which is that's incredible. Someday we'd like to have him on just to go over some of the great stories, the Taliban chasing him as he's grabbing the video equipment <laughs> and hauling ass in the truck down the landscape. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we'd like to have him on someday. That'd be cool. And just kind of another thing, just to kind of sum up that real quick, like that kind of came out the same year as Argo and that's another pretty well-made film. I like to think of as Argo as a very kind of safe, safely made film. Yeah. Where Zero Dark Thirty, I think is a little more risky in some of the, risks it takes certainly yeah that's fair number nine for me mm-hmm. dr strange mm. marvel's done a superb job with the b-list talent in their their canon ant-man was really good doesn't make my list uh, but i thought dr strange who for me was a really forgettable and kind of terrible character they delivered in spades in that film the aesthetic the you know, the the realm of magic and mystery to me can get a little hokey if it's not really carefully delivered. Oh, sure, sure. And that's not a slam on anything in the Harry Potter franchise. I thought mostly that was pretty awesome. But there's a real big suspension of disbelief that I have to traverse to get to the okay with magic wizard shtick. Mm-hmm. I did it in this film. Um, it might be a little bit higher on the list with the exception of the final battle. It's a little bit on the, maybe that's an eyebrow raise here or there. Sure. But other than that, uh, and of course, Benedict Cumberbatch was put on earth to be Sherlock Holmes. That's very good casting. Dr. Strange. Almost Joaquin Phoenix. How about, how about that? (laughs) I think that's very fair comparison. Mm -hmm. So number nine, Dr. Strange for me. Excellent. I'm also going slightly superhero for number nine. Wanted to pick something animated and, you know, you know, Pixar always kind of knocks it out of the park. I thought they had some good winners in there with like Coco and Inside Out. But then like kind of a lot of just kind of palatable films for me, like Monsters University, The Good Dinosaur, etc. To me, the film that totally knocked it out of the park in animation is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, talk about looking at the animation medium and just totally doing a, a curveball with it. Matt, growing up, I never thought I would see a film that would be able to tackle Miles Morales and uh, Spider-Gwen and Spider-Noir and have it be thoroughly enjoyable, but then also just be so unique to look at. And, you know, we've seen it all with animation, whether it's film cells or or CGI. I don't even know what you call that. Like, it's, it's something else altogether. I think that was a pleasant surprise. And in terms of animation, it's the winner of the decade for me. You just mentioned one that barely missed my list, which was Coco. I mm-hmm. thought that was fantastic. We had a discussion that I said, I think that might be in contender for best picture. Oh, sure. When that movie came out, oh, I thought definitely. that was, it just missed for me. As we go through this and you mentioned a few things, I'm going to take a chance to give an honorable mention because I know when you constructed your list, which I think you said was 30 plus films and mine was 20 mid twenties. Exactly. There's a few that shockingly didn't make it that I would be remiss if I sure. didn't uh, discuss. Number eight, my first horror entry on this is Hereditary. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a cask on, if not A24 someday, then Ari Aster Mm -hmm. and cover this film in depth. Uh, Or maybe we'll do a possession. You know, we've talked a lot about Rosemary's Baby on this podcast. This might be one to include there. An A24 horror cask, because we could do that one, The Witch and... There's there's quite a few that they they've tackled. Well, even if we don't do horror, just a twenty four, because then we could do uncut gems. It's a fantastic uh, company right now. They are on fire. Mm-hmm. They've got something else coming. Oh, uh, Saint Maud too. Mm. Holy smokes, that company is moving. Yeah, uh, Hereditary is terrific. I don't want to give too much away. It's been a while since I've been that disturbed 
hmm. in a movie, and I was really disturbed in that film. Uh, that's number eight. Hail, right. pa- hail Payman. <laughs> hail Payman, right? right. All right, number eight for me. He had to sneak onto this list eventually, and I was like, I couldn't put all the films he made on here. I had to pick and choose, but uh, number eight is Dunkirk, uh, Christopher Nolan, 2017. Uh you know, what What more can be said about, you know, the types of films he makes, but I think they're thoroughly event films. And Matt, just kind of think about it. Dunkirk is a historical war film that came out mid-July. Like, who who does that? Like, that's, that's, that's insane. But to uh, just kind of do it authentically with a lot of, like, the actual planes, and it's exciting, and it's a nice, crisp hour and 40 minutes. That was a film that was meant to be seen on the biggest screen you could see on an IMAX screen because, you know, the scale he's able to kind of just create without CGI is just remarkable to me. And he's going to come up again on the list, but very few directors get to do what he he gets to do, um, the sandbox he gets to play. And I think that's a very intense, it's, it's like a bloodless war film and you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. So that's my number eight. You've teased it out. He's coming. He's coming. At <laughs> some point he's coming. Exactly. All right. So number seven, second and final Marvel installment in the list for me, Infinity War. It's the Empire Strikes Back of the Marvel franchise, in my opinion. We had some pretty significant discussion about in the Empire Strikes Back, the revelation of Vader being Luke's father. And I think you might have directly asked me, what was that like? And I told you we had the discussion on the playground Mm -hmm. for the better part of two school years. Oh, yeah. I don't think the who's going to survive the snap bit or who's going to come back quite was at that level. Sure. But it was talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And it had to do with why Marvel was very hush-hush about what movies were coming. And it's still kind of a little bit hush-hush on, not super hush-hush, but insofar as what's next. Like Fantastic Four and X-Men and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's a great movie. Infinitely better than Endgame. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. that's my favorite Avengers. Yeah. It includes all the Thors, all the Iron Man, all the Captain America's Winter Soldiers close. Yeah. That's my favorite Avengers installment. I'd have to agree with you too. It's, I think it's the, the most ambitious film Marvel's ever tried to make. And, you know, usually when you have that high of an ambition, you fail miserably. But I thought they, they knocked that one out of the park in, in, in a good way. Um, something that I didn't think Endgame could truly ever really live up to like that's that's a hard that's a big alley-oop right there you know what i mean the thing that is not spoken about enough in that film is the goal of thanos Mm -hmm. we've spoken about it here so if you missed that here it is again the way he garrett goes about solving his problem which is there's too many people for the resources that we have is something Mm -hmm. that is a real problem facing society in different shapes and capacities all the time Mm -hmm. It's just his execution. Sure. It's not cut back or recycle or any of these things. It's just get rid of half the population. And then the ones that survive will be really happy. And Mm -hmm. then maybe we'll have to do this again in the future, but maybe not. Yeah. He's, he's right. Exactly. And we've talked about that a lot. Haven't we? Mm -hmm. The motivation of the villain. Oh yeah. And he's got a good one. That's a good performance. Like it's surprising too, because he does look so good. Um, The, he looks like Josh Brolin just kind of like, really done really well and it. I'm just kind of amazed that like something like Will Smith's Aladdin could or a genie could just look so terrible and it's yeah. the same company you know what I mean like they're just not putting the effort in some places perfectly said hey, this is number seven right it is right number seven for me blue is the warmest color 
Now, Matt, this is a three-hour lesbian drama epic. Why is this on my list? I'll tell you why, because I think there's two really hard things to do well on film. You mentioned one on the podcast one time, and that's to depict uh, the life of teenagers in high school accurately. I think it's very over-dramatized and really too over-the-top at times. To me, the other hardest thing to do is to depict a realistic relationship on screen. Um, very few films other than like maybe like Richard Linkletter's uh, Before Trilogy, I think, handles it really well. This is the same instance. I caught this on Netflix on a whim. Winner of the Palm d'Or, 2013, 2014, I can't remember. And I was just tr- thoroughly transfixed by this relationship between uh, these these two women and it's it's literally a tale of two halves it's based on a comic book i found out if you can believe that mm. uh one half is you know falling in love the passion you know not being able to get enough of each other and the second half is just like after you've had time spent in there watching it slowly crumble apart and it it all kind of has to do with one of the lead characters her hair is blue not blue in the second part so there's some great changes here and it doesn't it's not the happy, sappy type of relationship story. I'll just give you that. I'm surprised that it made my list, but it's a film that I think is epic in scope. And it's just something that I'm shocked that I just latched on to. Because like, it's it's just really well made. So that's number seven. You've mentioned that several times. Mm-hmm. I need to see it. Yeah. Three hours was like carve out three hours after I can grind through the... <clears throat> End of the Irishman. Maybe I'll get <laughs> exactly. to that. Oh, mm-hmm. I just can't get through that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I don't like in story is the stories Hollywood tells about itself. For that to work for me, it has to be done really, really well. And the movie has to be aware enough to not be self-serving or self-aggrandizing. And it's why I jump off on a lot of stories about sure, yeah. the trouble of making films in Hollywood or the conflict in getting a film made in Hollywood as told by Hollywood. It's just so overwrought with Mm self-indulgence. You mentioned this one a few minutes ago. This doesn't do that for Mm -hmm. me, mostly because it's probably not set in LA. It's Argo. Mm -hmm. I think that's a terrific film. Yeah. I think that might be Ben Affleck's best performance. He might show up again later on my list, not this specific one, but maybe later on in another Mm. list in this podcast. Interesting. (laughs) I really just like that film. No, yeah, it's there's not a whole super deep metaphorical message that's being delivered. I think it's a really cool story. Uh, The performances are really good. I cared about all of those characters. Mm -hmm. Um, That movie just worked for me from start to finish. I like Alan Arkin in just about anything. He's terrific in this. John Goodman's also really good. There's something about those types of stories too that um, we've never heard about, like these type of like escape missions or these kind of untold stories within history that make for great cinema. So excellent. So six for number six, number six uh, from I think 2017 as well. This is Blade Runner 2049. Matt, you know, probably better than anybody how much I worship the original Blade Runner. Like I think that's, it's in my top 10. Um, you know, I think Ridley Scott puts together a pretty great masterpiece. So my anticipation for this one was tepid at best. How can you replicate, you know, a pretty decent formula that I think. And, but I got excited when I found out Danny Villanueva was helming this. So this was a man that already wowed me with prisoners. He served up a great second appetizer with Sicario. 
and then Arrival, and I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm kind of digging this guy, and he's doing Blade Runner, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, for everything, you know, that it is, it's it's epic in scope, but I think it equals, if not at points best, its, its original counterpart. It's tremendous filmmaking. I was actually elated when I when Roger Deakins won the his long-awaited Oscar for best cinematography all those years shooting brilliant films for the Coen brothers never to win way overdue and he finally won for for uh for this film because it's just beautiful looking um it's a bit long and I understand you know something like Blade Runner is definitely there's two camps of science fiction to me the space epic, the Star Wars, the Star Treks, even like I would even throw Alien into that, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then there's more ethereal science fiction, and Blade Runner definitely fits that more than the latter. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've always always liked it. But, man, Harrison Ford looks like he actually showed up and he actually tried in that film, and we got to chalk that one up as a win. Real quick, though, have you seen the trailer for that Call of the Wild with, oh, my God. You just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Why did they CGI the dog? Like the dog looks terrible. That looks so mailed in, man. Yeah. That if we were going to do a list tonight of stuff <laughs> in 2020 that you might not ever want to see. Yeah. Even in the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be on there. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes on that one. <sighs> yeah. Don't get me started on the how did that get greenlit story bit. All right. Number five. Uh, well, I one and only sports film on this movie. Okay. Creed two. Uh, Creed one is superb. Mm-hmm. Creed two is even better because Creed two is like a sequel to Creed, but it's also a quasi remake of Rocky two, but then a finishing of Rocky, a finishing of Rocky four. You know what? I, it's like it's got so much going on in it. Every day I comb the internet to see if there's any news about Creed three coming, mm-hmm. and it just depends on the day if Stallone is in or out, and they already have the villain maybe <clears throat> cast for the third one, which is Clubber Lang's son. Mm. Uh, I forget the heavyweight guy that's playing him, but it's a real guy. Um, and Stallone said he's out, and then he's been back in. And I, I, I who knows? Sure. I just know that that movie did a really good job of showing, for me, at that time, what the role of fatherhood could be in so far strength and perseverance. Found it truly inspiring. I was not gonna lie; I wasn't quite sobbing. That's too much, but. I shed a few tears at the end sure. and there's a couple moments in the final fight with uh Drago son mm-hmm. that I think I was hurting cause those punches are so heavy mm-hmm. and the sound in that movie is so good Oh yeah, that I could feel them. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan is such a great actor. Mm-hmm. I'll see just about anything is in, you know how much I like Chronicle mm-hmm. talked about that. Yep. Yeah, Creed two at five for me. Chronicle make your list. No, but I do love that. You see another honorable mention. You see, it was hard. You see, I mentioned the likes of, you know, films like, you know, Sicario and Prisoners, Daniel Villanueva's and Arrival. They didn't make my list. It's just sad because I I really think those are great films. Yeah. 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 Creed 2. Excellent. We'll have to do like a whole Rocky like distillery one of these days of just kind of breaking down that entire franchise because I think it's often maligned when it really shouldn't be. Um, it's a very smart franchise. I Look, both. if you don't like boxing, why would you see that film? So that bugs me when people sure. review that and say, oh, there's too much boxing. No shit. Oh, really? Yeah. That's going to a romance and there's too much discussion about love or kissing. Yeah. Dumb. Mm-hmm. If you don't like boxing, don't see that film. Mm-hmm. So to those people that killed that film, 
They can pound sand. <laughs> they can pound sand big time. But I want to tell you something. I did make a New Year's resolution. Can I just tell you, yeah, and everybody out there? Yeah. Are you ready for this? Because cool. I don't know how long it's going to last. Okay. It made it vertigo. I didn't do it in vertigo. Sure. Not to curse. Oh. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. Pound sand. That's I'll, a polite way of I'll inviting to, someone to have sex with themselves. I'll have to curse for the both of us then. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Well... <laughs> Excellent. Number five for me from David Fincher. This is The Social Network. Uh, this is a really interesting film for me. And I think he had a really interesting decade, too. Not only did he turn out a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I kind of dig that film as well. Um, Gone Girl, not so high on that one. And then dabbled into TV with the, like the likes of House of Cards and Mindhunter. So he's been doing a little bit of everything. Here's kind of this tale, again, kind of looking at these, you know, this biopic and, you know, where does the kind of truth lie? But when you team up with Aaron Sorkin, the the screenwriter of all screenwriters, and him and Tarantino were just kind of born to write dialogue. Uh, and we get it in that opening sequence of that film, but I think it paints, I don't want to say almost Shakespearean, but the way that story unfolds is very interesting. And I have this great memory of taking my parents to see that on, I think it was opening night or opening weekend. They didn't know two shits about Facebook, but the story itself is just so engrossing of this greedy tale of these greedy people doing, you know, literally changing the world with something that they created. And I think it's a timeless tale. And I think it's important, especially the two thousands to me are defined by the rise of social media. This is a film that, you know, kind of shows a kind of, not the dark side, but like kind of like how it came to be in not the greatest of ways. Masterfully handled by David Fincher, too. Are you interested in his next movie? Oh, I'm interested in any movie he makes. Do you know about Mank? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that. That's an interesting <clears throat> autobiographical movie about Herman Mankiewicz who worked with Orson Welles on Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Is there that much story there? Let's, we'll see. We will. Yeah. And the other one that you mentioned, and the reason I'm bringing this up is I thought about this for a list later on in it also goes back to Ben Affleck. Sure. Uh, he might be at three different mentions in the same list for me. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, Deep Water. You heard about this? Mm -hmm. um, our Bond girl and your girl from Blade Runner 2040 or 2099. Oh, yeah. Anna de Armas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, couple with a relationship that's gone going south and mm -hmm. they allow it to survive as he opens the doors and invites as many lovers into her bedroom as she wants. And then a murder mystery unfolds. Interesting. Kind of it's it's kind of serenity-like. Or Gone Girl-ish. That's what made me think about it. You said sure, Gone Girl. Sure, sure, yeah. Okay, so what are we at? Number four? Mm-hmm. Hell or High Water. Ooh. Had to get locked off. I love that film. Like, that, that's tremendously made. It's so funny that that just gets lopped off and it's number four on my list. So maybe there's a really fine line of what makes it and what doesn't on this. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good Western, superbly acted... Can I just say I love just about, you know, the movies might be trash sometimes, but man, I dig Jeff Bridges in just about anything he's ever been in. Ben Foster? Yeah. Such a good villain. Chris Pine? That movie's excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, see it. I'm not going to get into it too much. Story of two brothers that are robbing banks in a town with no money. Excellent. Go see it. You'll love it. It's awesome. Or rent it or stream it or something. It Find it. Watch it. <laughs> you can yeah. find it somewhere. <laughs> find it, yeah. Yeah. Four. Number four for me, uh, from Martin Scorsese, The Wolf of Wall Street. I was actually a little surprised to myself how high this ended up, but, but I really, really like this this film. I saw this on Christmas Day is actually when it opened up, so talk about debauchery. 
but it's truly for everything that Goodfellas is about the mob and the mafia. I think, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street is with greed and money and just excess. And it's just a test of excess and how much you're willing to take. And man, like uh, Jonah Hill's great in that. It was the introduction of Margot Robbie and my God, what an introduction that was. <laughs> but it's effortlessly cool. And McConaughey, he's in it for five minutes and just so memorable. Yeah, like to me, it's it's a fine film. And I think it's something that Scorsese, um, I think that's that's his the zone he works well in. He's dabbled in, in arenas like Irishman and um, Gangs of New York. And while there's things I like about Age of Innocence, maybe not so much. <laughs> but he really excels in telling stories about excess and really terrible people, yeah. whether that's Mean Streets or Taxi Driver, Goodfellas or Raging Bull. To me, that's where he knocks it out of the park. And, you know, Leo may have won Best Actor for The Revenant, but he should have won it for this film. It's just It's just a chaotic performance. No qualms there. Great yeah, movie. Number four. Number three, mm-hmm. About Time. Really, really high on my list. This goes in that category that is not this very avant-garde filmmaking experience that where the camera is auteur. Like, it's not any of that. Yeah. It handles time travel pretty well. It is so heartfelt and so honest and so sentimental. That movie sits with me. I've never... Mm-hmm. in my entire life yeah, had a response to a movie like I did in that one. I think I might've told you the story. I might've even mentioned it on here. I think you did a couple, couple weeks back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scored tickets that I had thrown it away. There was no way I was going to go. Uh, we had free tickets. What the hell? Yeah. Came home. My mom had watched, had sat for us that night and asked us right away. Did you guys just have a huge fight? Cause I was so, yeah swollen i had been crying for the last 30 minutes that movie it might matter a little bit more because i don't have my dad anymore and that's a huge part of this movie sure uh dom hall gleason is a guy that um i all really really like it was like the first film i ever saw him in too yeah so it's great it is really great and you know for you and you know, myself too um but that checks a lot of boxes for you yeah like that's a that's an amazing story written by richard curtis yeah uh and, you know, it's it, it checks all the boxes, it sets things up, and it pays them off. And it does time travel in such a unique way where you're not questioning logic and you're just more enveloped in the emotional stakes that the story's unfolding. It's a tremendous film, and I, I, it breaks my heart that I had to lop it off of my list. But If only all of Richard Curtis' screenplays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> telling telling me you're not a, a Notting Hill fan. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. Excellent. So if I did 12, would it be in the list of It 12? would be, yeah, 12 or 11. Okay. Like, it was right there. Three for you. Number three for me, um, it's part of a franchise. It's number four in the franchise. It has no business being as good as it is for being the fourth film in what I call a B-list franchise as Mad Max Fury Road. Um, you know, what can be said, you know, I, I looked on a lot of lists just to kind of see what other people put on their top 100 films of the decade. And this was in the top 10 on just about all of them, like for action, an action film. That's just, it's not, it's a, it's a chase film. It, the whole film's just one long chase through the Australian desert and, you know, great performances by Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron, who I found out they did not get along while making this film, but can you imagine being in the Australian desert in like 110 degree heat trying to make that like it already looks difficult enough to make but compound heat and every other factor of filmmaking on top of that 
yeah, I don't want any part of that. And it, it was George Miller, this 78 year old man's making this film. It, it, it's, it's just remarkable how well it, it works in, in so many different ways. And visually it's, it's stunning. Like the guitar psycho man, like War Jesus, boys. Jesus Christ. Cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. And I'm not a Mad Max kind of guy like road warrior. I like world warrior, but like beyond Thunderdome's shit. The first one's kind of very low budget and you can tell like like how did this hit a home run like i don't have an answer for that so if you gave me the 12 that i gave you that would make it mm -hmm. that's 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. that was the final cut that didn't make my list okay my number two yes ready yep inception uh for a movie that got panned when it came out most of the critics hated it because it was just too damn smart for most of them yeah uh, damn isn't cursing by the way Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> it doesn't count. Or hell. You're I can not, use damn or hell. You're not going to make it. I am. <laughs> I, it's great. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody's seen Inception. If you want the pretty bow on it, you're not going to really get that. But maybe you are if you look close enough. It's this really smart. A dream heist film wrapped inside another dream heist film. Uh, yeah, Inception. Excellent. But I'm not going to go any further. Sure. It's, if you haven't seen that movie, what's the matter with you? Go see it. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Number two for me, Whiplash. Thought I think we were going to end up doing this, so we could probably just have the same conversation at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, Whiplash was a film that you went to go see, and then I think a couple of my friends went to see, and they were like, Jesse, you got you to go see this film, like you especially. And it was a while before I got around to it. You and especially. It, yeah. Right? And so when I, I just, I, I don't do this often, but I, I just went and bought it. And I was like, man, I hope, I hope it's good. And boy, is it ever. Um, Terrence Fletcher, you could probably make the argument as the best cinematic villain of the 2010s. Uh, he is a menace of all menace. And the reason I should like something like this is, you know, I kind of grew up with something like this jazz band you know um maybe not as as horrifically violent as fletcher can be at times but the stress of perfection and how much is too much is something i can definitely identify with in a jazz band setting which is shocking like i hate damien chazelle for making this film because this is a film i should have made um and then the last 20 minutes arguably i could make a case for the best 20 minutes in all of cinema like top three endings ever so i'll just kind of leave it at that because what's your number one matt that very same movie <laughs> i'm not as big a jazz aficionado as you are i love mm -hmm. it yeah as a as a form of art yeah and i, I played saxophone by the way alto sax in, in jazz and you know we went through a period where that was what we wrote to mm -hmm. a lot of coltrane a lot of davis um I'm not sure if you don't like jazz, if this isn't a good movie for you. It, it might be better for people that appreciate the art form because a lot of it is sure. that. Mm -hmm. Miles Teller is terrific in that film, and Miles Teller isn't always terrific. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, He's kind of a bastard in his own right as well. Mm -hmm. The way he dumps his girlfriend in that movie and the singular driven goal of being the best drummer ever not just really good the best ever yeah i think him and fletcher are necessary for each other oh yeah because fletcher's gonna find 
the one. He's going to find a one because he hasn't developed a one. And he's been at this high, high ranking jazz school forever. And he's turned out some nice, nice players, but a, he's never had a buddy rich, a buddy rich, mm-hmm. but by God, mm-hmm. he's found a kid that's got the drive. I just got to push him over the edge to get there. He does. Oh yeah. And he comes back and then he comes back and he pushes him over the edge with the stakes immensely high. It's such a good twist. It's one of my favorite scenes too. And you know, spoiling it, you need to watch whiplash. Uh, when he's there at the final concert and they're about to start playing and he just kind of walks up to his music stand and he just goes, you think I'm fucking stupid? I knew it was you. And you're just like, what just happened? And just like, they just back around and then he like pulls this switcheroo on him. That's awful. Absolutely awful. Uh, and then we get that ending, that brilliant ending that I just mentioned. So even the, the drum solo in the ending oh, is superb. It's excellent. The rise and fall. Yeah. Talk about a debut film. Mm-hmm. First film right out of the gate. Man, he just totally knocks it out of the park. And J.K. Simmons, you don't equate him with like the likes of like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. Like he's always been kind of a B player, J. Jonah Jameson. And I love that he got the spotlight for this film because he just kills it. He's he's so good at that. His insults are legendary. Who are you a bigger fan of right now? Okay. Chazelle or Villeneuve? <sighs> They're I'll, similar to me in a way. Well, I'll tell you what, because La La Land's not a movie that's made for me either. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy that film. I Even First Man, Neil Armstrong biopic, that movie's actually really good too. Mm-hmm. I got to lean towards Villanueva just a little bit. Okay. Because he, he just has a few more. He's like he's like a seven for seven right now. Okay. Yeah. I number, bet your number one is familiar. You already mentioned it. Inception. Mm-hmm. For everything that Matt and I preach on in Rice Smile Films about spec speculation screenplay and how hard that is to do, that when you truly get to to show that on the screen is something to be marveled at, especially when they knock it out of the park. For summer box office that is constantly filmed with sequels that we don't ask for, for family-friendly fare, for the next superhero thing, for something based on a book... Here's a film in 2010 that's an original idea that gets bankrolled for $180 million, uh, just because you proved yourself first. This was a film Nolan wanted to make after Memento. And Warner Brothers like, you gotta, you got to prove that you can handle something like this. So what did he do? He went out and did that. Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight. And then they give him the money to play with. And you don't get that in the summer. We don't get it. To me, Tenet is the closest thing we've had to that uh since inception and made by about the only guy that could get that green lit mm-hmm. summer is tentpole pre-established <clears throat> audience there's already people built in to go see it because you've got two weekends to win because something else is coming yeah and it costs you 200 million dollars to make that movie mm-hmm. so you better rake that in and then by saturday be turning a profit it's really tough time to release a movie but specs time. get released now to about march don't they mm-hmm. low 40 million dollar specs this is the season Lately. Yeah, it's such a brave, bold attempt at filmmaking that paid off. Can I tell God? Can I tell you my favorite part about just him as a director is we're in a real weird kind of stage in Hollywood and in, in filmmaking. And, you know, we have these advents of streaming services and we're releasing films like Irishman directly to the service 
Um, we have like on-demand day-in-date release that you can just buy and watch at home. To me, there's a certain semblance of watching films in a theater. And he has to be at the top of the list of getting people to see something on the big screen because it's, it's truly not the same at home. He finds ways, whether it's using the IMAX camera, and, and he's another, he's like no 3D. He's old school. He's using the, the, the film cameras and the same film stock that, you know, epic directors like David Lean did in the 60s. Like, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Giving people a reason to go to the theaters because I want to be long dead before those days are gone. The word that I've used a lot in the last few weeks is gimmick. Mm-hmm. 3D, although it's cool, is a gimmick. Mm-hmm. I don't mean this in a belittling way, so don't take it that way. Yeah. He has a gimmick, mm-hmm. and it's just tell a really, really cool story. Yeah. And he does time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went back and forth earlier in the week talking about one and two because we had a discussion about these films. They're damn close. They could be interchangeable sure. for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So it's 2A and 2B and 1A and 1B. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's the top 10. We spend a lot of time together. at have the same freaking top two. There you go. But well worth it. Those Those are two really <laughs> great films. Um, I think well deserving of the honor. There's been some, also some shit in the in the 2010s as well. So we're gonna also treat you to what we think are the three worst films of this decade. Matt, why don't you go first? At number three, okay, Serenity. <laughs> um, what more could you say that you didn't like? Just yeah. spew in that episode, like. <sighs> You just walked out. I was so shocked. At, I mean, well, listen to the podcast. It's yeah. it's awful. Well, Stephen Knight and <clears throat> everyone involved in that film may as well just reached out through the screen and slapped you in the face. And then what made it even worse is when Hathaway and McGonaghy were asked about it, lame responses such yeah. as, well, not every movie is for everybody. Well, my question is, who was that movie for? <laughs> exactly. No one. <laughs> you, your parents? Yeah. It's just so stupid. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even say the performances are bad because the premise is so stupid. There's mm-hmm. not even room for them to be bad performers. Oh, that's fair. I don't think McGon. I, I like Matthew McConaughey oh, a I lot. Do, I do too. Out of the box, mm-hmm. Hathaway and McConaughey and film noir. Oh man, this could be so important. It just sucks on high. <laughs> the whole thing, even if it wasn't a video game, it would still be really stupid. Oh yeah. That it just is a terrible, terrible film. Mm-hmm. That might be with maybe The Happening, which is also a terrible film. Sure. Two of the, that might be one and two on my list ever. Those movies, Yikes. well, but that's a, a different decade. It, it it should be, it could be number one on this list, but I've got something else that I think is even worse. Okay. Okay, you're number three. Number three for me. I'm not going to talk about it long because it doesn't deserve this conversation. Caught it on Netflix, I think in like 2012. I Frankenstein Aaron Eckhart is some type of like super vigilante Frankenstein. It's trash. It's bad. I knew watching it as one of the 10 worst things I'd ever seen in my entire life. And that's not a list you really want to be on. So you've never seen it. Have you? No, yeah, hell, don't, hell no. don't. Yeah. It was, that was a weird th- it, trying to make Frankenstein an action hero. Epic fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kristen Bale's done a lot of really good work in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Did you say Christian Bale? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A lot of great films. Yeah, I love him. 
Uh, I want to mention one that's not on the list, but also sucked, and that was Hostiles. Okay. That movie was terrible. <laughs> that wasn't even a movie. That was three short stories. They found a way to stick together, and the ending bit where he gets on the train and gets on, that's it, that movie sucks. But that's actually not my choice. I know what you're going to say. Do you? Can I just say it for you? American Hustle? No. Actually, no. no, Shit. No. That's also bad, but that's not it. No, man, it's out of the furnace. Oh, okay. I hate that indie, moody, we're so smart that we're not even going to bother to tell a story film, and this is that movie. Sure. I I left that movie upset. I hated it. Mm -hmm. There's no story. There's no one to care about. Um, It, that, as bad as Serenity is, Mm -hmm. Out of the Furnace is even worse because I will say that at least Serenity, although stupid, mm-hmm. attempted some version of story. Yeah. This is just moody look at Christian Bale after moody look at Christian Bale. Terrible film. Mm. How this is even like a 51 on Rotten Tomatoes, I can't begin to understand. There isn't anyone mm-hmm. that likes that movie. Yeah. There, that person doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. There are those snobs that say, well, it's Christian Bale and he's being experimental. Bull. Who cares? <laughs> Don't be. Exper- he's already experimental. If you've heard of any of the sound stuff on stage where he freaks out on them. Oh, I love that. The, the crew. On the Terminator. Right? Yeah. And the, the, I think there was something on Batman where he lost his mind one time, punched out a family <laughs> member. Like the guy's already experimental enough. You don't need to take Moody and make it experimental. That movie sucks eggs. Okay. Out of the furnace. My movie... Into the trash. My number two sucks eggs, too. Is that your attempt at not cursing? Hey, come on. (laughs) Interesting. We should get some clever one-liners for Matt here in 2020. (laughs) It's Suicide Squad. This is, man, this is DC trash. Trash. A film that was production or, like, you know, film, like, while they're filming, it was just a nightmare. Jared Leto's a weird joker. He's like a cross between like Jim Carrey and like Johnny Depp doing like a, an act on like Saturday Night Live. And it's still in a terrible. perfume commercial. Yeah, it's it's horrible. This is a film made by Hot Topic, endorsed by Hot Topic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bad. It's uh, I there's I don't even think like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn kind of is is pretty decent. Everything else is just unredeemable. That's, that's a bad movie, and like I, I, I could never watch sit through that again, unless we, if we did an episode on that, I would sit and just happily rip it to shreds. But um, yeah, the, the puzzling choices in casting in that, and how many bad decisions did it take for Joel Kinnaman to completely wreck his career after the killing? And we like him, love him, yeah. Really good in House of Cards mm-hmm. was terrific, terrific in the killing, yeah. terrific in the killing. Mm-hmm. And then let's roll out that sorry RoboCop. And then oh, it's terrible. Uh, yeah. And that's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Jared Leto was just maybe the 11 or 12, whichever spot Fury Road didn't take on my list. That's mm-hmm. Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. His looks can be really troubling, can't they? Yeah. He is so gorgeous mm-hmm. that it's almost off putting. And when you cast him in makeup as the Joker, there's nothing devious. He just looks like I feel like I'm watching a Calvin Klein perfume commercial with him in that film. <laughs> Not to mention the story is just stupid. And here's the thing, though. Mm -hmm. What is also really frustrating about that Mm -hmm. is you can do superhero B talent well. Yeah. One of them made my list. Mm -hmm. Not if you're DC. No, yeah. It's it's like, talk about a bad year for them. We're going to relaunch another one in about, what, a month and a half, two months? Yep. The Emancipation of Harley Harley Quinn. Quinn. Yep. What's number one for you? 
So Miles Teller is going to have two spots on both, are going to have the number one position on both my lists. Okay. So like at Whiplash. All right. And then the Fantastic Four. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to say anything more because <laughs> it doesn't deserve a syllable. There were some production issues that happened. I will say this. Yeah. Some point in that movie, someone should have looked at the dailies and said, I'm out or dear God, fix, well, st- stop making the movie. Cause that's essentially what happened to Josh Trank mm-hmm. is they fired him because he said, this movie is so bad and you're forcing me to release it. And it's terrible. Big time. How Miles Teller didn't look at the dailies and say, oh, my God, what in the hell is going on Mm -hmm. and leave? What's it going to wreck his career like that wouldn't have wrecked or didn't cause significant harm. It's the Fantastic Four. That movie, it's it's worse than the happening and it's worse than Serenity because it's just the Fantastic Four aren't a hard story to tell. Yeah, it's flabbergasting why they can't figure that one out. Three times now. Fantastic. Can't form. argue with that. That's Michael B. Jordan's in that too. We love him. Love him. Shit. Number one for me, I have a, a bit of a tie. One selfish and one is just truly a bad film. Uh, movie 43. Yeah. You heard of this thing? Oh, it was, I had a lot of discussions with myself about it. It was actually a film. I actually watched the whole thing of, Oh, you made it through the whole thing. Yeah. If you've ever want to see Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman with testicles on his chin or Chris Pat Pratt, uh, shit on a, on a windshield, with talent like the Fairley Brothers and James Gunn directing and writing these shorts, it's like an anthology film of schlock. It is so abysmal. And when you, Richard Gere, when you see the talent in this film, you're like, man, who did they owe a favor to? Because Chloe Grace Moretz, Halle Berry, Lee Schreiber, Naomi Watts, uh, uh, Sean William Scott, Gerard Butler. You're like, who, who do they owe? Because this is pathetic. Pathetic is the word I would use to describe that. And then equally pathetic. And man, it's time to take this franchise out to the pasture, shoot it, bury it. Don't find it. Don't send the forensics team to go look and try and do an autopsy on it because it's DOA dead on arrival. This is a good day to die hard. Holy God. The franchise should never have even gotten this far because they're so far away from the formula that makes the original what it is. Him and his son played by the horrific Jai Courtney who also showed up uh, in Suicide Squad as Boomerang it's just garbage it's total garbage it's it's you know for everything that John Wick and Mad Max are great in action this film just takes a giant piss on i'm so done with the die hard franchise it, it that and terminator man they and predator is kind of right there too you need to stop i'll give alien one more shot but then you're you're going in the you're going in the bonfire too with them and I'm going to pee all over you guys. That's a shame. Those are iconic franchises that have really shaped the landscape of action and science fiction cinema, and they're just trash. Isn't film 43 worse than the Die Hard one, though? It, it is. I mean, not by much. Yeah, no, yeah not by much. It, th- th- that's just people not trying or just think things are funny. This is people trying and just, like, failing miserably. Bruce Willis didn't have a good decade. Mm-mm. When I was doing my research on this, bad <clears throat> films from 2010 to now, mm-hmm. he came up in a lot of different movies. A lot of stuff that I didn't see that I'd never even heard of, which was straight to video over, or straight to DVD overseas kind of stuff too. He yeah. did not have a good decade. And then like his comeback vehicle was something you and I were both very high on glass. Mm-hmm. That didn't deliver either. Yeah, that was a nightmare. <laughs> That's Academy Award winning compared to the crap we just went through. Sure. Glass was awesome 
compared for, to this. For as great and as bad as film was sometimes in the decade, television was at an all-time high. Yeah. So Matt and I are television guys on top of the film. We can have a television podcast as well because, man, we'd just be talking for like hours on end about things. But what are your three favorite uh, episodic television shows of the last decade? Getting to this this three it was even harder. Oh, man. <laughs> three is too, too small. Sure. Can we do an honorable mention? Go ahead. And go four. Mm-hmm. Okay. At honorable mention number four is the Americans. Okay. I loved it up until the very last, basically, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Thought it was terrific. Uh, you, I think you can stream the whole thing. Yeah. If not, is it? Is On it, Hulu, maybe. Um, it's FX. That's an FX. FX series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, I'm not going to get into it because that's cheating. My honorable mention. If you want to have an honorable mention, go ahead. No, it's okay. Go ahead. So my number three? Yep. Ray Donovan. I really love Liev Schreiber. John Voight's terrific in that film. Mm-hmm. It's kind of gangstery, which has a good buy-in for me. Yeah. Uh, essentially, he's a fix-it man for the powers that be in Hollywood, and he's troubled with his own personal demons from family as well. There's not a bad performance. His brothers are great. His wife was great till she passed away. If you haven't jumped on Ray Donovan, get it. Mm-hmm. It's. I promise you it's worth your time. Excellent. My number three. I Ray haven't Donovan. seen it, so I should probably get on it. You would like it. Okay. Yeah. I have a tie at number three because I think these two shows are actually fairly similar but drastically different at the same time. Ozark and Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, to me, these uh, uh, shows uh, tackle the traditional nuclear family and totally turn it on its head by getting involved in these crazy, obscene crime scenarios. Whether it's laundering money or cooking meth, I think they excel really well because of the environment that they're placed into and the antagonist that they ultimately go up against. Um, yeah, those are two, I think, phenomenal shows. Ex- expertly acted. We're big Jason Bateman fans. Mm-hmm. I love Brian Cranston, you know, Aaron Paul's killer, and that Vince Gilligan, for all his writing, starting out on the X-Files, man, does he kill it in that show. It's my number three. Another Bateman vehicle that just missed my list mm-hmm. is Bad Words. Top 10 of the decade, I think. Mm-hmm. I love the the inappropriate relationship with the father son yeah. dynamic. Yeah. The raunchy father figure. I love it. Yep. Okay. Good, good choices. Yeah. Number two for me, power. It's not quite done. We mm-hmm. just had the second final season part two start. Yeah. Oh God. It's, I think a lot of people dismissed it as kind of trashy mm-hmm. and the snobby anti hip hop kind of way that, sometimes pervades itself in art not by me yeah i I don't even know where to start with with power that's fantastic another one i haven't seen (laughs) i need to add it to the list well when you sit down to watch it Mm -hmm. give yourself some time because you're going to get it and go yeah we started it in the summer and i think we binged through the first three seasons in about a week and a half okay uh we'll see how it all shakes out um really good man excellent power's really good perfect you're number two number two um i think between the two of us i think i'm more of a comedy guy than than you are no question until on television at least um uh, a lot of selections from netflix making it onto my list um and only two seasons of this show and i don't think we're getting a third which is kind of the crime of netflix at the same time master of none uh, this is the nc aziz ansari vehicle he writes he directs a lot of the episodes but the comedy, the writing is so smart in this show. 
And, you know, it's a film or a show that I dare I say is, you know, relevant to like a modern sensible audience, but it doesn't beat you over the head with it because it, it's, it's done so well. Um, they do some riffs on, on film tropes on, you know, relationship, what it's like to date in this type of decade. And he's just, he's just really funny. And the dynamic he has with his parents and his parents actually play as parents on the show. Um, talking about you know cultural values and how his are totally gone because he's grown up in new york city like it, it's very fascinating i love this show it's one of those ones i binged like in a weekend the two seasons and i'm, I'm really upset that i don't think we'll get a third it's my number two haven't seen one you talk about it a lot i need to get on that mm-hmm. number one sons of anarchy oh wow mm-hmm. just wow I think I've mentioned the X Files on here mm-hmm. and Six Feet Under. Yeah, this is right up there with those. Yeah, um, it was so good. The ending that that's where a lot of these shows have a breaking point is eventually the story has to come to an end. It seems to be seasons five to seven is kind of about where yeah we pull the plug right yeah don't overstay your welcome right The Walking Dead The Walking Dead <laughs> fucking die already yep I just broke the. There was a curse word. <laughs> so now I made it two and a half hours. There you go. Well, shoot. Um, I'm still going to keep trying that. Okay. It's The Walking Dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. was really entertaining. And what they did really well is each season was a different caper that the motorcycle gang was trying to pull off. Mm-hmm. Yet the villainy of the Mayans was pretty consistent the whole film. Yeah. And then the father son battling for position at their table, which is the, the round table and the Knights of the round table mm-hmm. and the battle for it was, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, introduction to Maggie Siff, who is really, really good in billions as well. Yeah. Uh, I think there was seven seasons of sons of anarchy. There's not a bad one in there. Excellent. Check it out. That's a really good show. It is a good show. You're not a, you haven't seen it? I've seen some of it. Some, okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Number one from me, going animated with this one. Maybe you know where I'm going. I do. From Netflix, it's a show I tell people to watch if you haven't seen it. Um, it's BoJack Horseman. Uh, part of, I think, the problem with television being so good is, is the commitment to it. You know, whereas a film we could watch in two hours, we're done, we're satisfied, we're happy, or pissed off. Um, <laughs> on on television, it's like it's a seasons. That's like a twelve hour investment into something that might be garbage. Um, with BoJack Horseman, I almost gave up on it. Uh, with season one, if you're interested, you got to give it to like at least episode seven or eight, and then something clicks, and you're like, oh my god, like this is an animated show, and it's it's written smarter than most films that I I get to see. So to kind of just sum up, it's a story of this. Imagine Tony Danza or Scott Bayo, these actors on Who's the Boss or Charles in Charge, trying to have some type of a life in a modern Hollywood. And it's animals mixed with actual humans and how it tackles the depression that he has. And he's just an obsessive drinker. Will Arnett is masterful as BoJack Horseman. And Aaron Paul is Todd Chavez. I got little Funko Pop figures of <laughs> Todd Chavez and all these ridiculous characters. But, man, I just got to tell you one thing. This is why the show's brilliant, because of how experimental they are. There's an episode in the past season 
or his mother uh, passes away and she's this cantankerous bitch that just kind of, he's the reason he is the way he is is because of his mother. She's dead and he's giving the eulogy. The whole episode is a 26 minute monologue eulogy by Will Arnett about just bearing the sins of the past and his mother. And when he steps back after he finishes, he looks at the audience and it's like this family of frogs. And he's like, is this the, is this the horseman uh, funeral? He's like, no, that's in parlor B. He gave the wrong eulogy to the wrong funeral parlor. And that's that character in a nutshell. He can't even get that right in his life. Um, so that's number one. I, I You have to see it. I you know animation's not for everybody, um, but there's some smart writing in those in those episodes. I, I highly recommend it. It's moving into its final season, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How many is this going to be? Four? Six, I think. Oh, made it six. Mm-hmm. Okay. They gave it some legs, yeah, and they did they did some unique things in in the show. Is it constructed in a way where each episode is its own story and there's no interconnectivity <clears throat> other than the character in sitcom like scenarios, or is there a through there's line? Definitely through each a bunch of through lines. Um, okay, and then the characters kind of do their own adventures, but yeah, he kind of he kind of wins some, he loses some, and you're just like Jesus Christ, like this guy's um this guy's a mess. Can I ask you a question about your worst list? Go ahead. Was Entourage close to making that? No, I, I know you were a fan of that. No, no, no. Oh, like the, the film? movie is. I know you no, love the, the no, series. The, 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 the films. It's not a masterpiece, but the film's good if you liked the show. Okay. If you didn't see the show, you, there's nothing for you there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a fan of the, sh- yeah, that, I'd like that. If that show, if we had been doing the last decade, oh yeah, that's top three. I love that show. Mm-hmm. I know you did. Mm-hmm. All right, what are we looking forward to in 2020? We'll pick one film each. So to kind of give you just some hesitation, Matt and I did this in our very first episode, Unbreakable, last year. Matt had the home run pick of Serenity that he was most looking forward to, and I picked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And for the most part, those films didn't really do it for us. So those are some kind of bad choices, at least on our part. Um, Let's see if we do better this year. Yeah. Yeah. It couldn't be worse. Yeah. When I was going through month by month, release by release, mm-hmm. I have to say I'm a little bit worried. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things in here that really, really stand out, and I don't want to say them because one of them sure. might be one of the ones you're going to come up with. There's two or three things that I was, okay, maybe, and there was a whole lot of like, Okay, I guess I'd see that, except when it came to horror. Mm-hmm. I think 2020 is shaping up from what I did to be a really possibly great horror year. Oh, yeah. Um, Antlers were something that I had not seen the trailer of until mm-hmm. a few hours ago. Have you seen the trailer for that? Mm-hmm. That could be really good. Yep. I think that's an A24 movie, mm-hmm. which, good start. That's there. not my choice, though. Yeah. I mentioned Ben Affleck earlier. Mm-hmm. He has two that I'm interested in. I mentioned Deep Water, and the other one is The Way Back. Okay. That's not horror. I think that is really close to being my pick. It's not. Do you know the the premise there? Yep. I just think watching him play that role out yeah. is him telling his story. Yeah. Ben Affleck is so resurrectable. That guy's wrecked his career and brought it back so many times. And wrecked it again. <laughs> that movie's going to be great. Yeah. I think. I think. But that's not my choice either. Ooh, I'm excited. Uh, Conjuring 3, I'm hopeful for that, you know, it's just kind of a personal bias. Oh, yeah. Um, it's down to two. Okay. They're both horror flicks. Okay. 
I'm really interested in Antebellum. Okay. The African-American horror plight film is really popular right now, and I think they're getting really good stories out of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that one looks interesting. It does, mm -hmm. and the more I read about it today, the more interested I got. Okay. That's not my choice either. All right. It's the turning, right? Yeah. It has to do with my ties to the innocence and turn of the screw. I say that telling you I don't love Finn Wolfhard either. Yeah. I'm kind of over his 80s shtick, although thank God he's not acting like another kid from the 1980s in this movie. Instead, he's acting in a remake of a period piece from the 19th century. Oh, I'm hopeful. Yeah. But again, so that's one hard drama about addiction and one about open relationships and marriage that devolves into a thriller and the rest is all horror. Exactly. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Which could be great though. Yeah. I like horror. So I'm going to go with the turning just by hair over antebellum. Excellent. Good news is we'll know both of those by April. I think antebellum's April three and the turnings like tomorrow. <laughs> we'll definitely know it's soon. Um, mine, we're going to have to do a bit of waiting. I'm specifically not picking Nolan's film because I don't want to curse it. Like I think I cursed once upon a time in Hollywood because I want that to be the home run of home runs. I saved that one for you, but yeah, I remember we talked about it. I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to do that, but instead I'm going to my, we have to tell them what it is though. Yeah. What is that movie you're talking about? Wait, which one? Tenet? Yeah. Tenet. Oh yeah. Tenet. Okay, Tenet. Yeah. 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 That looks, the trailer looked amazing. Looked really great. Yeah. Um, I'm going with my other boy from my list, Denny Villanueva with his adaptation of Dune. Yeah. Here's another just unenviable task. Can you imagine sitting down with Dune and me and you like trying to adapt that mammoth book? How long is the book? It's like it's like 1500 to 1800 pages. It's like reading the stand. I'm reading it right now and it's it's good. But it's ambitious by all means and David Lynch tried this with Kyle MacLachlan and Sting. Sting. That movie's hot garbage. Uh, so man, let's see if, uh, Denny keeps up his streak and let's see if he can go eight for eight and, you know, he's sticking in sci-fi. He, he proved that he could do it. I'm very looking forward to it. A close number two is the last bond effort. No time to die. Um, caught wind today, a news alert. Hans Zimmer is going to do the score for this film. That's awesome. Uh, here's Daniel Craig's swan song. Very much looking forward to it. Um, Rami Malek is the bad guy. They're like I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, I know you are. Mm -hmm. You want that movie to be really good. I actually thought that was what you were going to pick when you didn't do Tenet. I do. I want it to be good. Halloween Kills sequel to Halloween's also coming out. Looking forward to that. Thought that was a, a nice kind of return to that franchise. Let's see what else they have in their back pocket. The thing that intrigued me about The Conjuring Three mm -hmm. is it feels a little bit in synopsis like Emily Rose. Sure. So we'll see. That'd mm -hmm. be an interesting direction for that story to go. Mm -hmm. It's not James Wan, though. It's not James Wan. Mm -hmm. He's still producing it, yeah. but it's the guy that did La Llorona, oh. Chavez. Yeah. So that's strike one. Yeah. But maybe not. Yeah. He could come through. Excellent. Here's cheers, Matt. Here's to cheers, those Jesse. picks being better than the ones in 2019. For sure. What are you going to do if the turning's like Serenity Part 2? Oh, there's no way that's... There's no way, right? I they, they, No, there's I no way. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Excellent. Um, well, uh, this is uh, a longer Minnesota, but quite a lot of work to wrap up an entire decade, and I think we had a lot to talk about. So, excellent. So, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse.
Cheers to 2010 to 2019. Exactly. It was pretty good. Um, And so until next time, cheers.